the question I want to begin with this morning is, do ideas matter? Does it matter what we think, how we believe? Um, Does it matter in your daily life what you believe? What do you think? Okay, in what way? Yeah. Anything. Anything about anything. Does it matter what you believe? Okay. So your beliefs inform your your actions, the way that you think, the way that you talk, the way that you live. And the whole point of this series of classes on defending the faith, apologetics, is um, is basically an answer to that question, that ideas do matter. And then why is that true and how can we defend the answers, the ideas that we actually have? And so that brings us to the thesis thesis of our class, and that is that ideas matter for our discipleship, evangelism, apologetics, and our joy in loving God and living for His glory. So ideas matter for our discipleship, evangelism, apologetics, and delight in loving God and living for His glory. So every part of our life is uh, informed by what we think. Every part of our the way that we talk and the way that we act is informed by what we think, how we believe. And so fundamentally, ideas matter because they drive what we'll worship. You know, the difference between us and animals is that that we do things because we think about them. Uh, animals just do things instinctively. You know, they don't sit down and kind of get a cup of coffee and and uh, look out the window a little bit and decide, I'm going to tear that couch apart today. You know? They don't think about these things. They just do things instinctually, instinctively. And so, uh, but we are different, right? We, we think about things and we act according to what we think. And how we think is going to determine what we worship, whether we worship God or someone or something else. And that's the point, the end goal of all this, we, that we need to recognize for ourselves that ideas matter, and we need to recognize it for the sake of other people that we talk to. And fundamentally, defending the faith, apologetics is about talking to unbelievers. Okay, it's, it's, it's to defend what we believe to unbelievers and to help them to see that their ideas actually matter. So that's kind of uh, what we're looking at in this course. Uh, Thirteen weeks, Lord willing, um, on apologetics. Let me pray uh, before we uh, get too deep in here. And we'll begin. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and how it is uh, clear and unmistakable in what you want us to know, uh, particularly the the fundamental truths of who you are and what you sent Christ to to do. And so we praise you for that and help us. We pray that you'd help us to live for your glory, uh, for your sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the end goal in all this is to worship God, to praise the one true God of the Bible as we uh, understand Him according to how He's revealed Himself. So to praise um, the one true God. So uh, if you look on the back of your handout, there's four elements there. Um, these four cornerstones that, that de- detail out... Um, how we should think about various things in life, and we're talking about ultimately worship. It is praise, 
perception, proclamation, and perseverance. We'll come to those here in a minute, but that's that's the idea here. The end goal is to worship God, to praise Him as we perceive Him from the Scriptures, and then proclaim Him to the watching world and persevere in the faith. So we want to achieve this end goal by setting out the following objectives. Um, we want to establish a biblical framework for for uh, how we see God uh, how we understand God, that is, a, to have a Christ-centered worldview. Uh, how do we establish that worldview? We also want to, uh, another objective is to equip us with the knowledge and base, basic principles of apologetics and worldviews and philosophies. Because you might think, well, this is just something for academics. This is just something for colleges and universities to talk about. But what you're going to find is that when you talk to people, and you, you probably already recognize that when you talk to people, um, that they have different philosophies that they're going to come at you with, and you need to know uh, some of those things and how to combat those and how to explain your philosophy of knowing God, your understanding of knowing God. Um, and uh, so that, that's important for us to, to know. We also want to provide an overview of the history and development of ideas in philosophy and theology. So where did all this come from? And we want to pr- prepare and motivate us to defend the Christian faith. That's kind of the primary goal. We want to be able to defend the faith. So turn to First Peter chapter 3, and I'll show you where we get this word apologetics from, uh, or this idea of defending the faith. First Peter 3. So the, the course outline uh, is that today and next week are going to be, uh, actually next week I won't be here, but two weeks will be introduction and overview uh, talking about apologetics, worldview, philosophy, and then we'll get into history and some of the main ideas. And then we'll spend the rest of our time in the course uh, over the next several weeks after that, looking at the key presuppositions that make up the major world views. Okay, there are presuppositions that everyone comes to the table with, uh, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, and we need to, to see where those come from and how to combat them. So First Peter 3, someone read for us verse 15. Okay, so the command there in verse 15 is sanctify Christ. Set apart Christ as your Lord in your heart. And then the the way that you do that, see that next phrase is modifying how you sanctify Christ. It is, you do that by being ready to make a defense. And the, the phrase there, make a defense, is actually one word in the Greek. It's apologia, apologia, um, which is the word from which we get the word apologetics, to defend the faith. So we have a responsibility to set apart Christ as Lord in our lives by making a defense so that whenever someone comes and asks us about the hope that is in us, that we're ready to make a defense. We're ready to to make a response. Um, So recommended books. um, the, The primary book that I will be using is, and I forgot to bring it up here. It's in my office, but... It's called Always Ready by Greg Bonson. It's on the back of your handout. And it's not easy reading. It's not the type of reading that you want to do uh, late at night or, or near an open flame. Um, however, it's it's a lot easier to read than, uh, than Van Til, who also will be depended on a, a little bit here in this class. Greg Bonson was born in 1948. 
And after being saved, he gave his entire Christian life to study the area of apologetics and became an, uh, a really avid debater uh, with people who were atheists and all sorts of different, uh, different worldviews and positions and so on. And he actually wrote this book um, after having been a student under Cornelius Van Til, who will also depend on I mentioned, but, but I can assure you that Greg Bonson is much easier to read um, than Van Til. So I'm going to give you not Bonson himself, but really a distilled version of his apologetics without destroying the content. Sadly, uh, Bonson died at the age of 47, and, um, but his writings still live on, and, and he has been the most helpful, in my view, uh, in being able to defend the faith from a Christian worldview. All right, so a good place to begin here is with the definition. You have it there for you on your handout. Apologetics is concerned with the defense of the Christian faith against charges of falsehood, inconsistency, and credulity or unbelievability. So we want to defend the faith. When people say, well, that, I can't believe that. You know, that's just ridiculous. We want to be able to defend ourselves saying, here's why we believe this. Here, here's why. We don't just do this blindly. This is something that, that happens because we are making a defense. Certainly, you recognize that Paul made a defense for his faith in Acts 24 before the Roman authorities. And um, so, apologetics has to do with defending or making a case for the true Christian faith. Um, and in making defense, we're going to find that one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to attack the other person's worldview. Okay, and, and I'll talk about how to do that. It sounds like we you know, get out a sword or something, the word attack, but that's not really the idea. You need to recognize that there are two major types of apologetics, major schools of thought when it comes to Christians and how they think about defending the faith. And those are listed for you there. Called ev- evidentialists and presuppositionalists. Okay, those are huge 25-cent words that seminarians use to describe the two various schools of thought when it comes to apologetics. So you've got to recognize that, that you're going to see people come from both sides and and I think these are believers that are going to be looking at these kinds. But um, but maybe you're wondering what the difference is. Um, the main focus of evidentialist apologetics is the idea that we can use evidence or proofs that God has given us in the created order as part of our proofs and persuasion and apologetics. So if I want to defend the faith to an unbeliever, I'm going to give them a list of proofs. Here's why I know God exists. Here's why I know that Christ was real, that, that He is the Son of God. Here's why I know that, that Christ raised from the dead. And R.C. Sproul would be a well-known evidentialist. Um, so if you want to know that there's a Creator, then you look at the creation and use these kind of these philosophical, philosophical arguments to prove that. And hopefully what I'll be able to show you over the next several weeks is that that, that is not... Um, the best way to approach it. The second way is called presuppositionalism or um, presuppositionalist approach, which would stress that evidences will not convince unbelievers to follow God because people are already governed by their own presuppositions. And if they operate based on their presupposition apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, which is 
they are naturally disoriented toward God, right? They, the natural man cannot understand the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2. He cannot know them. They are uh, spiritually appraised. He cannot understand them. So if that's the case, then all the proofs in the world are not going to convince an unbeliever about the truth of the gospel, um, about the truth of our worldview. And so therefore, we cannot prove God um, with a bunch of evidences. And so Van Til, out of Western Seminary, uh, a Westminster Seminary, is the well-known presuppositionalist that that really uh, championed this position. And let me give you three reasons why I think we should defend our faith from a presuppositionalist apologetics. Number one, the Bible. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but the Bible doesn't begin with proofs for God. I mean, if God really designed for people to be convinced by evidences, wouldn't you think that He would begin the Scriptures by saying? Here are seven reasons why God exists. And then give the philosophical reasons. The unmoved mover, if you've heard any of these philosophical arguments. Or the, the watchmaker. You know, if you have a watch, where did that watch come from? And they say, well, it came from a, a person, right? Someone made it. Well, then here's, here's a proof for why God exists. Because there's this world, and the world's like the watch. And, and again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that sort of thinking, but why did God not use those kinds of proofs in starting the Scriptures? Instead, how does the how do the Scriptures begin? What are the first four words? In the beginning, God. What does it do? It just assumes that everyone knows that God exists. And why would we assume that? Why would we assume that God exists? Why would any reader of the text of Scripture assume that God exists? Why do you think? We do. What about unbelievers? Do they know that God exists? Yes, absolutely. Romans 1 tells us that everyone knows that, that His invisible attributes have been clearly seen by what has been made, that, that they recognize from creation, and they have the law written on their heart, Romans 2, 14 and 15. Okay, so everyone already knows that God is a creator, so we don't have to go to the proofs that He exists, that He is eternal. Um, now, in order to convince them of the gospel, in order to explain the gospel to them, I'm not, I'm not against evidences. What you'll notice in, in preaching is that I use evidences for you, okay? And I use evidences for unbelievers. But the primary way that we should defend our faith, I'm suggesting, is not by evidences. The Bible doesn't begin with that sort of way. And actually, never, if you, you can't really find any part in the scriptures where it gives a, a set of proofs for the existence of God. Secondly, all reasoning for the existence of God is circular reasoning. One of the main arguments against presuppositional apologetics says that we argue from an untenable position in logic called circular reasoning. Do you know what circular reasoning is? You assume what you're trying to prove. So, if I said blue is a better color than red, therefore, red is a worse color than blue. Okay? I... I've basically assumed what I've tried to prove. I've already assumed that blue is a better color than red, which it is, by the way. Okay, but 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 in doing that, I've used a proof that red is an ugly color. Okay, and, and so I've assumed, and that's called circular reasoning. And so in logic, that sort of thing tends to not work. And so what I'm suggesting is that all belief in God is circular reasoning. And what I mean by that is that that I'm trying to prove that God exists, right? And do you know, you know the reason that I believe that God exists? 
Because God spoke and He told me He existed. God has written that truth on my heart and in His Word. Therefore, God exists. Do you see the, do you see the circular reasoning there? There's no problem with that because we have to know that God exists uh, by God telling us that He exists. We can't just come to a conclusion based on, um, based on no facts at all. We, what we like to think, uh, the evidentialists tried to use this kind of argument, we like to think that we can start on a plain ground with no presuppositions. That's not possible. Okay, we all have presuppositions. We all have a set of beliefs uh, of how things work, how, how God exists, and so on. And so we come to the table already with those presuppositions. And so we, we are not going to get anywhere by trying to prove that God exists, I, I think. Um, number three, evidence or, evidences or proofs are not compelling apart from the work of the Spirit. Okay, so I'm talking about to an unbeliever. Again, I'm not opposed to evidences or proofs in general. Um, I'm just saying when it comes to defending our faith to unbelievers, they they are not compelling apart from the work of the Spirit. So trying to convince a dead man that the sky is blue is not going to work. Okay, Trying to convince a spiritually dead man that God is alive is not going to work. Because, for one, they already know that. Okay, um, And so, actually, when, when I talk about uh, God to unbelievers, I never start with a proof for God. Tell him why I I know that he exists because he touched me. I, I felt him work in my life. You know, we have a song that that we sing that way. You know, um, I know he lives because he lives within my heart, and that is true. But but I don't use that to, to talk to unbelievers about God. Instead, I recognize that they already know that God exists, and that's where I'm coming to them. With you have a God that lives, and He demands something for you, and you need to respond to Him. Okay, and they might say, "Well, I don't believe in God and things." And um, I'm hoping that we will, that I'll be able to make time to show you a video of an atheist who tries to make the case that God doesn't exist. And hopefully, as we get farther in our understanding of how to do apologetics, we'll be able to defend ourselves against a guy like this, who's just a, a blasphemer and um, someone who who does not want to acknowledge that God exists. Everyone who does not know and follow Christ is spiritually dead. And so we're not going to be able to convince them that God reigns and that their sin has separated them from from God and that they must trust Jesus and repent. We cannot compel them unless the Spirit first does the work within them. And that's why Lazarus, you know, when he asked Abraham to send someone to, to his brothers to tell them about the gospel, Abraham said to him what in Luke 24? It's not going to work. That evidence is not going to work, right? They already have Moses and the prophets. Okay, that that's the clear evidence, so to speak. That's that's where they need to inform their presuppositions, and they're not willing to do that. No signs from heaven, no supernatural wonders, no catastrophic destruction will ever convince someone. And so, this series of classes stresses that no matter how good our proofs or persuasions are, no one can believe in God apart from His effectual, converting, saving work. And so our task is to defend the Christian faith and to oppose worldviews that set, them, set themselves up against the God of the Bible. Our real enemy is not flesh and blood, but it is unbelief, and we must recognize that. 
that, that without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for someone to believe. And therefore, we cannot expect to argue anyone into the kingdom of God. Our hope is in God, and He is a very effective evangelist. Um, and so we, we look to do what the Apostle did, which is to, to, uh, to, to protect and guard the accusations against our worldview, and then also we'll talk about kind of um, attacking their worldview. All right, so um, I, I mentioned R.C. Sproul is an advocate of the evidentialist approach. Again, I, I fully believe that he uh, is a believer based on his understanding of the Scripture and uh, the way that he lives his life. But um, I, I think that he's off base in how to approach defending the faith. Another uh, book, I remember the author, it's called Case for Christ. You've seen this book? Case for Christ. They also have Case for Christmas. Any idea who that is? Lee Strobel. Yeah, he's out of uh, Chicago, I think. I think he's on staff there with at Bill Hybels Church. Um, he argues that he, he makes all these cases basically um, in opposition to the Da Vinci Code, which says you know Jesus could not have re- resurrected from the dead. And so Lee Strobel argues, here's all the proofs why we know that Christ is real, why His resurrection is true, why we should believe Him. That, that would be a, an example of an evidentialist approach. Here's all the evidence to an unbeliever. Read this book, you'll be saved, type of thing. Um, and he, he claims to have come to Christ that way, and he very well um, could be a believer. I don't, I don't know him very well. But, um, but he claims that he, he was kind of that... Um, logical type thinker, and as he saw more and more evidences pile up, he he felt like he couldn't do anything else but believe. So let's move on to a worldview, and then I'll take questions here in just a second. Okay, worldview is a set of presuppositions which we hold about the basic makeup of our world. So uh, we look through glasses or lenses. Even if we can't see them, they're like contact lenses that we all have them. Okay, we might not really think about them very carefully um, or, or very thoughtfully, but but we have them. We we have a worldview by which we perceive everything. We make a choice about why that's right or why that's wrong. What should be done in that circumstance? Because we have a worldview. We have these set of lenses that we look through. And so, to to be slightly more technical, we would say a worldview is a is a person's philosophical or theological presuppositions. And the, the word presupposition is pre-thought. Okay? You, have the, you have the thought already in mind and now you're, you're expressing it. Um, you, you have this grid that you look through. Okay? These lenses that you look through and it determines how you respond to things. Presuppositions are the beliefs that, ex- that, that you accept without support um, or, or evidence in any way. And our worldviews are comp- by our presuppositions uh, that we have on life's most basic issues. And so as a Christian, I believe that God exists. So whether I'm discussing morality or my life's ambition, my my belief in God is going to function as a presupposition, a worldview that I'm going to determine by which which I'm going to make a choice about how I should live. So... um, who do you think has a worldview? Everyone has a worldview, right? Everyone has one. That's the, that's the idea. Is everyone's wearing a set of glasses, the, these worldview glasses, like we uh, in 
Vacation Bible School this last year, I think it was last year or two years ago, focused on um, uh, using your Bible glasses. That is, everyone has a worldview by which we operate, by which we think about things. And here are a list of several areas here, six areas of study about which every single person has an answer about which they don't necessarily think about proofs for them. But this is actually, these can actually serve as a springboard for which you, by which you can talk to them about spiritual things. So God, does God exist? Everyone has a worldview by which they operate and answer that question. What is his nature? Is he personal or impersonal? Is he one or many? Okay, reality or metaphysics. What is the universe? Who or what created it? Everyone has an idea of this. Even if they're in the remotest jungle of Africa, they have an idea of, of how to respond to these questions. That's Those are worldviews. That, that kind of, the answers to these questions make up your worldview. And it will help you to get, um, to get down to uh, a base of that person. They'll be able to understand you better as, as you come to uh, become more clear on these answers as well. Let me just... Uh, let me just tell you about three types of worldview that you're going to come across. First, the pre-modern worldview starts with the existence of God, just assumes that God exists. This is what a Christian would believe. And that He is objectively real and that there is a supernatural realm. A um, person with a pre-modern worldview believes knowledge and faith operate together and they understand man, morality, and history as part of a broader supernatural story. So we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for something bigger, and that is God. That's a pre-modern worldview. Second, the modern worldview, which instead of starting with God, starts with, who do you think? Starts with self or man, right? It's either his reason or his passion. They, they may acknowledge that God exists, but that's not the starting point for all their thoughts. Um, instead, they understand God, reality, man, morality, and history as part of man's story. It's all about man living life to the fullest type idea and not God's. That's the modern worldview. So the pre-modern starts with God, assumes He exists, and works from that uh, presupposition or assumption. Second is the modern worldview starts with man. And then the third is the post-modern worldview, which actually uh, denies God's existence. It denies the reality of God and the supernatural and then goes further to even deny the possibility of human knowledge and undercuts any basis for understanding. So that's where you get this idea of relativism in our culture. Anyone know what relativism is? Can explain it for us? Yeah, you, you ever had that conversation? It just goes around in circles because we can't believe in absolute truth because there is no absolute truth, Right? What you that's good that's it's good that you believe in Jesus but that that's for you okay what I believe is that I'm just going to end my existence at death that's a that's called the postmodern worldview so recognize those um, in answers to these questions I I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily uh, suggest giving somebody a quiz on these but maybe one or two at, you know in a setting um, might be helpful to to again springboard. Um, a conversation about spiritual things and it will help you to start um, evaluating a person from their worldview. Because what we're going to see throughout this study is that you can't really go in and attack their position unless you properly understand their position. 
you know, um, and and so are they? Do they have a modern worldview? Do they believe that God exists, but they just they just don't see Him as most important, or do they not even believe that God exists, or at least acknowledge it? Remember, we know that everybody believes that God exists. Any questions on apologetics, presuppositions, worldviews, and other big words? Greg. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, whether someone believes, you know, someone could say, "I'm a citizen of the United States, but I don't believe that there's a president." Well, whether they believe it or not, <laughs> that doesn't ultimately change that there actually is a president. You know, so you can say that God doesn't exist, and my life's going to end at death. You know, my existence is going to end at death, annihilationism. Um, but that doesn't change anything, right? God's <laughs> God's still going to be waiting on the other side to bring about judgment and final condemnation for someone who lives their life as if God didn't exist. That's not going to cut it, right? Before God and this, well, God, I didn't know. I, I was ignorant. That's not going to cut it. Everyone knows. That's why God says, God tells us in Romans 1, you know, that, that through the creation of the world, everyone understands that there is God, that He is, it is clearly seen. It is obvious to every single person. So that's not going to cut it in, in the courtroom of God's judgment. And so, that, does that answer your question? Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's really what this um, what this 13 weeks is designed to do is answer those types of questions. Because what what we want to do is first see, okay, they, they have a postmodern worldview. So so now that we see their worldview, we understand our worldview. Now we want to go in and attack their worldview, show them how weak it is, and then we also want to hold ours up, hold our worldview up, so that they can see it. And we're going to do that by showing them the scriptures, explaining truth from God's Word. And uh, and most importantly, that we're praying that the Holy Spirit would change their heart. Because remember, they can't fully grasp our worldview or accept it um, without the Holy Spirit doing the work within them. Yep. Well, that's a good question because I think there are two biblical responses to that. One is to persevere, keep keep after them, and you got to use wisdom as to when to do that. The other is to don't persevere. That is, don't cast your pearls before swine. When they come to a point where they have become so obstinate to the scriptures and unwilling to accept that God is truth, then at some point, the more truth actually brings is going to bring about for them more condemnation which is why Jesus actually hid some of the truth uh, from unbelievers because He recognized that, that they were so obstinate they were not willing to accept those kinds of things. And the only thing it was going to do is give them more condemnation. 
So the, the so that's actually a difficult um, question to respond to, but I think the scriptures tell us that we need to use wisdom in responding to those type of people and know when to keep pushing, keep encouraging, keep praying, keep keep pointing them to the truth, and when to pull back and say, I, I have to shake the dust dust off of my feet. You've clearly rejected Christ, and so that's that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you had the apostle, or if you had Saul that you were witnessing to for years as a Pharisee, and you're like, no, I know the scriptures, I I follow it, and and you know that would be the type of guy that I would think, well, I'm done casting pearls before before Saul. He's just not going to accept it. But at some point, God God came down and did a work in him. Um, so oh, I think what we learned from that is ultimately the work of salvation is God's work. But we still need to be tools in His hand to be used. I mean, because ultimately it was Saul on the way to Damascus that got stopped by Christ there um, that brought him to salvation. And so God's going to bring salvation to the people that He wants. But at the same time, He uses means, um, generally speaking. He doesn't. I mean, back in that day, it was through a miraculous um, salvation, we could say. Um, so, yeah, that's a difficult uh, choice to make, but certainly one that requires a great amount of um, study of the Scriptures and dependence upon God through prayer. I don't know. Does anybody else have any thoughts on that of when to stop and when to go? Yeah, because how that plays out, I, the the not casting pearls before swine is a difficult one. Because you know, if it's a family member, how do you how do you do that? I mean, do you just give up on them? I mean, it, it's hard to know how how to do that. But I think I think there's a wis- you know some wisdom there in what Paul had to say that it, you gotta um, it, it's dependence on God and recognizing. It's going to be have, have to be a work. I, I've tried to explain it as clearly as I could. I tried to, you know, come after them with their worldview. And all right, we need to keep moving. We have a, a lot more here to cover, but that's a good question. How do apologetics, worldview, and evangelism relate? Um, we have been talking about missions, spreading the gospel, counseling, discipling, and now apologetics in our uh, track called Christian Growth in our study of spiritual success. And they all have one unifying goal, and it is to bring people to Christ who don't know Christ and to build up those in Christ who already do know Christ. And so apologetics and worldview fall into actually both categories. That when we defend our faith, what we want to do is we want to bring people to Christ who don't know Christ, and we want to build up others who do know Christ. Um, So it kind of falls into both. And so as you enter this series of classes, think of it as a training ground on how to intelligently ask and answer questions that must be addressed so that you can um, finish with the good news of the gospel, that, that we are made to worship God. Um, 
So we can think of apologetics and worldview and evangelism uh, in two ways. Let me just give you two analogies. First is a battle. Okay, we have a battle for truth of understanding the, the what God has spoken to us properly, and we want them to see that. And so what we're going to do as in this battle is we want to hold our ground, right? We want to set up our fortresses and and um, make sure that people cannot breach what we believe, okay? And we believe it because it's based on the foundation of the scriptures. And then we also want to go on the attack for their worldview, right? We want to go into their camp and and uh, burn up their tents and and uh, get them to to think carefully that maybe this this battle line that we've drawn is not as effective as we thought it was. So there, there's a battle illustration. The other one that I found to be most helpful is um, is thinking of your worldview like a house with furniture. Okay, and this is what Greg Bonson uses for an illustration. He says you want to destruct the you want to defend the structure of your house and furniture, okay, so that when people come in and say, What's that chair doing there? And they knock it over. You say, No, 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 no. I'll show you why that's there. And then you explain. Or you know, th- this whole section over here, this is this is important for this house and so let me show you why it why it's there. So we we defend why we have our the structure of our house and the furniture where it's at. Okay, that's in our thinking, the worldview. And then we also want to go in their house and knock over some of their furniture. That's the idea. Okay, they have this worldview that's all messed up. We want to show them, listen, that doesn't work there. You can't put that there. In fact, you stole that from my house. Because what's going to happen is um, you're going to find that people, when they come, especially the moral questions about life, you know, they, they, the, the answers that they have about morality don't come from actually from their worldview they they borrow them or steal them from our worldview we'll get into that later but but you know someone that says you know that 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 rape is wrong or or um, murder is wrong you can you can try to dig down as far as you can you ask them why but if you actually believe in evolutionism you know you could actually argue here here's one of the ways you come in and knock their furniture over you say well if you believe in evolution don't you believe in the survival of the fittest so why is what Hitler did wrong, right? So you kind of knock over the furniture, and they're like, whoa, yeah, I mean, why do I believe that? You know, so then they start to see, okay, maybe all these presuppositions that I've come to understand are actually wrong. And then you say, let me show you why. Yeah, I don't have an answer for why evil exists. I don't have an answer for how evil came into being. But I can tell you that I have a God who, who believes uh, or who who um, who exists, and he is a good God, and so I do have an answer, at least in some way, for um, good and evil, and that God will win. All right. So, so they relate very carefully. Next, why is it good to be aware of worldviews? Um, again, we talked at the beginning. Our worldview is going to inform the way that we think, and how we think will determine how we live. Okay, so if I have an innate fear of strangers, every time I see someone that I don't know, I'm going to be kind of guarded against them and waiting for something bad to happen, like they're going to do something to me. Someone comes and asks me for directions. We're like kind of looking them up and down, seeing if you know they got a weapon on them or something. They're going to attack me. That's because um, that that I have a 
worldview of strangers, so to speak. In the same way, if you believe that in a God who promises to hate sin and to judge you according to your deeds, you're going to live differently than someone who doesn't believe in such a God, right? And so that's going to determine how you live. That's why it's important to be aware of your worldview and the others. Next, aren't worldviews the same as our religious beliefs? Yes and no. Um, No in the sense that when we speak of a person's religious beliefs, we are referring to whether they're... um, uh, We're referring to whether they're a Christian or Muslim or Hindu or some other religion. But when we refer to a person's worldview, we're also including what the person thinks about philosophical ideas and the nature of knowledge. And so in this sense, we actually have the same worldview as Jews and Muslims and Christians. Okay? And that is that, that we believe that God exists. Okay? And that, that we operate based on that understanding that God is first, man is second. Now, obviously, Muslims have a different idea of who God is. Jews have a different idea of God who God is. But they would have a pre-modern worldview. In contrast, Hindus and Buddhists and Taoists have a similar worldview to one another. They They believe that History does not have a starting point and that uh, morality is not absolute. And so they have a different worldview. So in one sense, our worldview is determined by our religion, um, our our religious beliefs. But if you're a Christian, your worldview is entirely determined by your religious beliefs. That is, your theological presuppositions about God and the Bible are entirely determined by your philosophical presuppositions, the nature of reality, the nature of morality. You know, for Christians, our worldview is 100% based on our understanding of the Bible. It is supposed to be, at least. And so that's, we just take God at His word. You know, He, he said He wrote this, we believe it. He, he said that we ought to, to believe that, that the earth was created in six 24-hour days, consecutive days, we believe it. Uh, we we take our worldview from the scripture. So then, who has a worldview? Asked us earlier and answered. Everyone does. And um, all right. So application. Quickly, what do we learn from about apologetics and worldview? Um, uh, we want to praise one true God the one true God of the Bible as we perceive the hollow and deceptive philosophies and worldviews around us and proclaim the gospel of Christ to this world and persevere in this gospel until death to the glory of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. So, all of our understanding of philosophy, of knowledge, how knowledge came into being, um, comes from our understanding of the Scripture and should lead us to worship. That, that we should praise God. And the more that we understand these things in light of the Scriptures, the more equipped we will be, I think, to actually praise God. Uh, because the, the Bible actually doesn't teach us just about God and just about creation and just about knowledge. It actually teaches us about ourselves. We will know ourself, our sin better because we know the Bible better. So the more that we come to know the Bible, the more we will know reality, right? There are millions and billions of people out there who live their life in a 
fantasy world, right? As if God doesn't exist. As if their sin doesn't matter, right? And, and we, as we come to know the Scriptures more and more, we are actually coming more in line with reality, what is true, what is right. And so it actually affects our per- perception of life. It actually um, focuses in the lenses of our worldview. So if you picture your worldview like glasses or contact lenses, you get a better prescription the more you understand the Scripture. Things come into view more clearly. So that the more that you understand the Scriptures, the clearer you can see things in life. The clearer you can understand God, the clearer you can understand self, the clearer you can understand the unbelieving world, the clearer you can understand sin, and so on. And so we keep focusing that worldview. Keep making Because right now, okay, I hope we all admit that our glasses are not into focus. Okay, our, our worldview needs a little bit of tweaking or a lot of tweaking, right? And so we keep, we keep working in that direction. We're like the Lowe's commercial, always improving. Like, what more do you got to do? You already renovated all the house. Well, we need to go back and do some other areas that, that got forgotten about or, or um, that have now become out of date. And uh, that's the way it should be in our thinking as well. Uh, proclamation. Uh, we should think about our proclamation in terms of our lives and our lips and then perseverance. Um, we want to persevere in these things. You ever seen one of those uh, magic tricks revealed shows? You know, um, I I often would would love to see like a, a real magician up on the stage and someone just come up and kind of pull behind the curtain and say, see, this is what's really happening. But that's kind of what they do in those shows. They try to expose for you kind of the conniving and the attractive look, the smoke screens that are kind of being used because they're covering up, covering up what's really happening. And that's what we're actually kind of doing when we go after someone else's worldview. We're saying, hey, look what's underneath here. See, once you move all the smoke out of the way, notice what's happening. And, uh, and we do that by understanding the Scriptures more, knocking down their furniture, um, helping them to see that our furniture's properly set up and in the right place. So, do ideas matter? And the answer is yes. In this class, we'll answer the ideas matter for true worship. It's going to affect how we think about God and how we worship God. Any thoughts or questions? Ken. Look at the example of Jesus. You'd think, you know, he'd just go after people more. He knows the truth. He knows how to say it. Why not just go after some of these people? But instead, he actually pulls back several times. And we've got to be careful ourselves, especially those of us who are, um, we are um, weak in evangelism. We've got to be careful about using that as an excuse not to evangelize. Like, oh, well, you know, they, they rejected me. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Okay. So we've got to be careful about using that excuse. But sometimes... The other extreme is the problem for us. That when we get into it, we like to, you know, get them down, put our foot on their neck until they listen. 
when Jesus, yeah, we have to be right. We have to be seen to be right. And Jesus didn't do that. When He made it clear, He said, you're not going to accept it? Fine, go to someone else. Go to the Gentiles. Whatever. So, um, yeah, good good thing to think through this week. Um, that's, a, that's a great observation, Greg. Jonathan. Absolutely, it's got to be both. All right, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for uh, your mercy to us and revealing to us uh, the great truth of the gospel that saved us and um, brought us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And so we praise you for that and ask for your mercy upon us as we think about these things. Lord, we don't want to be contentious in our protecting of our worldview or attacking the other worldviews, but we do want to to stand and hold our ground and then also to um, show them the foolishness of theirs so that they receive the same joy that we have, which is joy um, abiding and full. And we pray this in Jesus' name.